So, one way in which you can discover whether you have become a little more Christ-like is by asking yourself whether you can wholeheartedly rejoice when you see these little children saying their verses and especially the ones who are not fluent but who are still bold enough to come there come up here every week even though they week after week they stumble they are a million times better than all the clever fellows who think they know so much who will never once get up and testify about Jesus have you testified about Jesus publicly if not let these children put you to shame that you have not done it maybe some of you older people if you have never done it you should come along in line and repeat a memory verse as a beginning of course even better than that is if you give a testimony Jesus said you shall be my witnesses unto the ends of the earth and that's not a calling only for preachers it's for everybody and it's those who have a passion for that who seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit the others who seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit is only for excitement I remember when I began to seek first for the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Spirit was about a couple of years after I was converted in 1963 and I was in the Navy I was a naval officer and I had a burden to witness I would give out tracts in the trains and buses I went to but I felt I want to be able to stand out in the open air and preach the gospel but I was ashamed of standing in front of the naval base and have all my senior officers and junior sailors who work under me see me standing there like someone selling something and they'd mock me and laugh at me so I wouldn't stand outside the naval base I'd go 20 miles away in some other place where nobody knew me and I would preach there that was easy but I'd come back to my room I was single those days and I said Lord I'm really ashamed I'm ashamed of you because I speak about you publicly where nobody knows me but give me fill me with the Holy Spirit and I'll know you have filled me with the Holy Spirit when a day comes when I can stand right outside the naval base and have all my senior officers and sailors come past me and make fun of me and I tell them about Jesus Christ I don't have that boldness now I'm ashamed but you were not ashamed to hang for me on a cross stripped almost naked I don't want to be ashamed of you but I don't have the boldness please give me I'll know that you have filled me with the Holy Spirit because you said you shall receive power and I prayed and I prayed and a year later it happened 
and I could stand right outside the base and people would call me the devil and all types of things. But that day I was free from the opinions of men. And that happened nearly 60 years ago. And since then, I've been free from the opinions of men. And I discovered that that's how we grow spiritually. Most of us are too scared of the opinions of others. What will they think of us? What will they say of us? And that's the surest way to backslide or stagnate, to be ashamed of Jesus, who was not ashamed to hang on a cross half naked for you. Shameful. But I know you're like me. I ask you, my dear brother, sister, get alone with God in your room, even if it's only at night when you're on your bed, and cry out to God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. You're missing something if you have not experienced that. To just say, my sins are forgiven. It's a very selfish Christian life. I want to go to heaven. Fine. What are you going to do for the Lord who died for you? Are you willing to bear shame for Him in your place of work? Does everybody in the place of work know that you're a Christian and not just one of those run-of-the-mill Christians who do a whole lot of wrong things, but completely different type of Christian? I, I was in a ship with about 200 people and a lot of sailors and officers and uh, I wanted everybody to know I was a Christian. But I was not allowed to preach so I'd keep a Bible on my table so everybody knew. Or if there's a, I had a place near the wall, I'd hang a Christian calendar on the wall with a verse on it so that everybody knew I was different. I've seen Hindus hang calendars with the pictures of their idols. And I said, boy, these guys are not ashamed to hang a picture of an idol. And here I call myself a disciple of the eternal God. I'm ashamed... I said, I will not be ashamed. It'll make, you'll make a big step up in your Christian life when you decide not to be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Seek to be a bold witness wherever you are. Never, never be ashamed of the one who died for you on the cross. And if you find you are, then ask God for the power of His Holy Spirit. It's useless living through this world one day And one day you stand before the Lord and the Lord says, Were you ashamed of me? You want to come to live in heaven with me for eternity? Now you want to publicly proclaim that you belong to me now that the world is over and eternity has begun? What about the time when you were on earth? When people in a world where people mocked Jesus and laughed at him and disobeyed God's word, were you proud to confess me there? I hope what you heard today will help you to seek God for the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to challenge you to come one step higher. Don't live at that low level all your life. Just listening to messages, coming to meetings, easing your conscience, saying I'm living a good life. Oh, I got baptized some years ago. Fine. What about being a witness for Christ? May God help you. You can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. I couldn't do it. But I prayed and prayed and prayed, Lord, I can't do it. I said, Lord, I can't do it. 
but you can help me to do it. Even the early disciples, they locked themselves in the inside a room because they were ashamed to publicly, and they were afraid. But when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they threw the doors open. That didn't take place as a process over ten years. In one moment, one moment, that's what happens. It's like when you turn on the electricity. Think if the power is gone in this town and everything is dark and then power comes on. It doesn't come on gradually. The lights don't come slowly getting brighter and brighter. In a moment, there's power or there's no power. It's exactly like that, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm convinced that the vast majority of born-again Christians are not filled with the Holy Spirit when I look at them. Even a lot of people who claim to be. When I look at their life, I don't find it. They're ashamed to testify about Christ. There's not a boldness in their witness. There's not a liberty in their witness. They're only witness where all their friends are there, where everybody knows them, where they can get some honor for speaking about Christ. I remember once in the assembly where I attended, it was a brethren assembly way back in 1963. And uh, I was about to start, you know, in, in the time of prayer, you can pray or you can start a chorus or anything. It was open time of praying. And I was about to start a chorus. Others would do that also. And the Lord stopped me and asked me, are you willing to sing that same chorus, not here where everybody appreciates your voice, but out there on the streets, will you sing that same chorus? So I stopped. I said, Lord, let me sing it on the street first, where people make fun of me. Here, if I sing it, everybody will appreciate me. Oh, what a lovely chorus Brother Zach started. That's how I grew in my Christian life by deciding I'm not going to be ashamed of my Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for me. All the doctrines you understand are worthless if you're ashamed of Christ in a place where others mock Him. To be confess Christ in this crowd, it's easy. That's not even kindergarten school. That is preschool. Are you going to be in preschool all your life? Let's move on. Let me challenge you. What for? I'm not challenging you to go and witness. I'm challenging you to seek God for the power of the Holy Spirit. And then no one will be able to shut your mouth. I won't have to tell you to open your mouth. No one will be able to shut your mouth. And since God filled me with the Holy Spirit, my mouth has never been shut. Yours won't be. And I was one of I was a very, very shy person. You won't believe it today, but I was very shy in my school. I never took part in public speaking. Even in the days in the military academy, I was very shy, reserved, withdrawn, until God filled me with the Holy Spirit. Exactly. I can fully understand the disciples in a locked room. And suddenly, it's like the power coming on. They were changed. Do you believe God can do that for you? The Holy Spirit has come to this earth. He's waiting to fill you, many of you. Seek Him, my brothers and sisters. I want to turn it with you to turn with me to Ephesians in chapter 1. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, there are two ministries of the Holy Spirit that he emphasizes. 
One is the ministry of revelation of Christ and the other is the ministry of giving us the power of Christ. One is in chapter 1 and the other is in chapter 3. Just by the way, Paul was a very logical thinker and the way he wrote his letters was very logical. Romans, for example, is a very logical step-by-step progression from uh, where you start off as a sinner and then a religious sinner. They're all in the same category. How you get saved, justified, you come to victory over sin, freedom from the law, and so many things. And finally, you come to the last step in Romans 16, 20, where you crush Satan under your feet. That's the final step. The same way in Ephesians, he writes in a very logical way. For example, if you read through the first three chapters of Ephesians, there are no exhortations, no command. There's nothing in verse chapters 1 to 3 that God asks you to do. He's only telling you what He has done for you. All three chapters. And the next three chapters, from chapter 4 onwards, are full of exhortations. Chapter 4 begins with, Therefore, since God has done all these things I told you in chapters 1 to 3, therefore, chapters 4, 5 and 6, again, all the way to the place where you overcome Satan in chapter 6. So let's look at just two passages from Ephesians 1 to 3. The first one is chapter 1. Remember, chapters 1 to 3, there are no exhortations. It's only telling you what God has done for you or wants to do for you. we got to begin there. That's the foundation. The foundation is not what you do for God. Like I said, the foundation is not go and witness. The foundation is let God do something for you and fill you with the Holy Spirit. Then nobody will shut your mouth. You'll automatically witness. It's like the power coming on, the lights come on automatically. It's like that and I am concerned that so many Christians don't experience that. And uh, even there are many outgoing personalities. There are people who are not shy. They're not shy in society. They can talk about anything. Such people witnessing for Christ is not a great thing. It's just their natural personality. It's not the Holy Spirit. And very often I can discern, is this man speaking out of his natural boldness or the power of the Holy Spirit? There's a world of difference between the two. A person who speaks with his natural boldness exalts himself. He presents himself. He, he, everybody thinks he's a great man. But the person who speaks in the power of the Holy Spirit exalts Christ. He tries to hide himself that Christ might be exalted. And there's a world of difference between these two types of people. One is darkness and one is light. And anyway, maybe you're not able to discern it, but I find through the years I've been able to discern that. So when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will not exalt yourself. You'll exalt Christ. So Ephesians 1 Paul's prayer. There are two prayers that Paul prays, and those are what I'm speaking about. One is chapter 1, where he says, I pray that the eyes... Uh, sorry, he's beginning with verse 17. Uh, yeah, I make 16. I make mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, should give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. What do we need first of all? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit giving us wisdom and revelation, which is very different from intellectual study of the Bible. I thank God for one thing, that I never went to a Bible school in my life, not for one day. I'd have ruined myself if I went to a Bible school. And where did I get my example from? 
Not a single prophet in the Old Testament went to a Bible school. All the false prophets in the Old Testament went to Bible schools. Did you know that? There was a Bible school in the days of Samuel called the School of the Prophets. And every false prophet got a certificate from there and came out. But the true prophets, Noah, never went to a Bible school. Enoch never went to a Bible school. Abraham, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, anybody, name name them. The same in the New Testament. Jesus never went to a Bible school. He did not send any of his disciples to a Bible school. They walked with him and they got revelation from the Holy Spirit. The only person who had been to a Bible school before he was converted was Paul. And he spent three years in a Bible school under Gamaliel, who was a teacher of the Jewish Bible schools. And when he got converted, you know how what Jesus had to do? We read in Galatians 1, God sent Paul to, for three years into the Arabian desert. Why? It was it's as the Lord saying to you, I've got to remove all this chaff from your mind which you accumulated in Gamaliel's Bible school. It, you filled it three years over there. I've got to take you three years to the desert to get it all out. Then you'll be able to serve me. So dear brothers and sisters, seek for the revelation of the Holy Spirit. That's what he says here. I'm praying not that you'll study the Bible. I'm praying that you'll get the Holy Spirit who will give you wisdom, revelation and the knowledge of the Lord. That's open for every one of us. That's what I sought for. I said, Lord, I don't want Bible knowledge. I want the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation. Revelation is a New Testament word. It's different from just study and understanding. It's like, you know, you can study physics or chemistry and read a book and if you're clever, you get it. You can read the Bible the same way. And you're clever and you get it. What do you become? A Bible scholar. You won't be a servant of God. You won't be a disciple of Jesus. Because you've not got the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So, Paul prays for the Ephesians. Not that they will study the Old Testament and become scholars. But, I pray that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Not in the knowledge of the Bible. But in the knowledge of Him. There's a world of difference between knowing Him and knowing the Bible. I thank God that I study the Bible and I still do, even now. But through it all, I want the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know Him. And the important thing, my brothers and sisters, in your life is not how much you know the Bible, not even how well you can preach it, but how much do you know the Lord. Why is that important? You know the word eternal life which comes frequently in the New Testament. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him that means commits Himself to Him should not perish but have what? Everlasting or eternal life. In my days of ignorance I used to think after being born again I thought eternal life meant living forever. But that's the meaning of eternity. And that's what many people say. But that's not eternal life because people who go to hell live forever also. They live forever suffering the agonies of hell. So what is eternal life? The definition of eternity is not that which never ends, but that which had no beginning and has no end. 
So eternal life is a life which had no beginning and has no end. People in hell don't have that. It's the life of God. The only person who has it is God. But he can give it. The angels don't have it. But he gives it to us. Eternal life is different from living forever. The angels live forever. People who go to hell live forever. That's not eternal life. Eternal life is the very life of God which had no beginning and has no end. And it refers not to quantity of life, but to quality of life. You know the difference between quantity and quality? It's the quality of life. And Jesus defined it for us in John 17. In John 17 and verse 3. This is the definition that Jesus gave himself. This is eternal life. If you want a definition of eternal life by Jesus Christ, here it is. This is eternal life, not that they may live forever, but that they may know you, the only true God, and know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So, eternal life is knowing God personally, intimately, as a close friend and as a father. How do you know whether you know God as your father? I don't mean theoretically, I mean practically. Well, one proof will be that you don't get anxious when things go wrong. When you get anxious and worried when things go wrong, you're an orphan. Orphans are worried and anxious because they have no father to care for them. Something goes wrong, they don't know where, where to turn. They have nowhere to turn to. But a little child in your home, it doesn't matter if there's thunder or lightning or anything goes wrong. Daddy's there, I can go to him. Do you know God like those little child know you as their father? That is the proof of whether you know God as a father or not. Otherwise you know him theoretically, but you don't know him personally. I think that many believers know God like a child who's got a father who lives in some other country, 10,000 miles away, who's working there. You know, many people have to work in other countries. I know a lot of people in India who work in the Arabian Gulf. And they are away from their parent, from their family for a whole year or two years sometimes. And once in a while they come and see their parents and go back, see their children and go back, work again. For And if you ask one of those children, do you have a daddy? Yeah, I have a daddy. Where is he? Oh, he's about thousands of miles away. How do you know he's there? He sends us letters now and then. And uh, when you're in trouble, is there somebody near you? No, 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 there's nobody near me, but daddy sends us money. That's exactly how a lot of believers are. God is not near them. He's far away, many miles away, and he sends some messages sometimes through a preacher or through the Bible. But they don't know him personally. He's not near them. If when you remember when Jesus was in the boat, the disciples could not be anxious. Jesus was not there. They were. 
And I, I believe, I think of this physically. I look at it like this. If Jesus were physically here with me in my house, do you think I'd be disturbed if any calamity happened there? If any of my children are sick or calamity or tornado or lost my job or the money runs out, if Jesus is in the house, a world of difference. But if Jesus is not there, you can have millions in your bank account. There are things even money cannot handle. There are many problems in the world money cannot solve. Your knowledge cannot solve. God has made the world like that. God has made this world a very, very insecure place. And as we approach the end of time, the world is becoming more and more insecure. Praise the Lord, so that people will turn to God. God uses trouble to turn to Him. I heard a story once of a man, it's probably fiction, but anyway, it's a moral in that story, of a businessman who had a few, three children. He was very faithful in attending services. But his business began to prosper. And gradually he would skip the weekday meetings because business, you know. You got to watch your business. And then he started skipping. Come for once in a month he would come for the Sunday meeting. And gradually, gradually as the business prospered, his attendance at the church became less and less and less and less. It actually happens to some people. Till one day a very poisonous snake bit one of his children. They took him to the doctor and the hospital said, it's very poisonous, it looks as if your child may die. Then he thought of calling the elder in the church whom he had never contacted for many, many months, please come and pray for my child. And the elder person came there, he was a wise man, and he said, Lord, we thank you for this snake. Because what I could not do for so many months, this snake has done in few minutes, made, made them think of you. I tried so many months to try to make him think of you, and I didn't succeed. But what I could not do in six months, this snake has done in few minutes. Thank you. Now, Lord, please send a few more snakes to buy the other children and the father and mother also and then heal them. We don't want them to die, but let them turn to you. Do we have to wait for a snake to bite us before we seriously seek God? It's a parable, it's a story, fiction. But there's a moral in it. I had an aunt. See, my my, my mother's sisters are all from nominal Christian homes. They never heard about the new birth. or I mean, we were born again, but they didn't really respond to it. But one of my mother's sisters, the youngest one, got cancer. At a very young age, it was about 39 or something, she got cancer. And she went to hospital and never got trained. The hospital, and the doctor said, it's pretty bad, this is going back many, many years ago. And 
Finally somebody gave her the gospel and she accepted Christ. She was born again. Her sickness made her turn to the Lord. And she turned to the Lord so wholeheartedly that she said, now even if I don't get healed, I'm going to live for Christ. It was a thorough conversion. And within a year she died and she went to heaven. That's the one sister of my mother's I'm absolutely sure I will meet in eternity. The others, I don't know. They were nominal Christians. I don't know whether they accepted the Lord. I think one one of them perhaps did, but I'm not sure. But this one, I'm absolutely certain. In heaven, she will thank God for cancer. Otherwise, she might have been in hell. It's amazing how God uses snakes, cancer, to turn people to Him, to get to know Him. Many of us have come to know Him without cancer and without snakes. But knowing Him is not something you just, in a moment, it's done. Just like when you get married, you don't know your husband or wife at all. At least that's how it is in India. But day by day as you live together, you get to know each other more and more and more. That's how the Lord Jesus wants us to know Him. And I want to ask you, ever since the day you got married to Christ, which you were born again, have you got to know the Lord better and better and better? Have you become more free from grumbling and complaining? That's one proof that you got to know the Lord better, that your grumbling and complaining has come down. Have you got more and more free from losing your temper? That's one proof that you're getting to know the Lord better. Do you think you'd be yelling and screaming in your house if Jesus was living there physically? No, you wouldn't. It's because the presence of the Lord is not real to you that you get upset with someone and yell and scream and get angry. Let's face up to it. You do not believe the Lord's presence is there in your home. It would make a world of difference. Supposing some calamity happened. If Jesus was living there in your home, what would you do? The first thing you would think of is, let's go and tell Jesus. That is the mark of a man who knows the Lord. And dear brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to condemn you. Please don't misunderstand me. I want you to know Jesus like this. Because that's what made the difference in my life. For many years my conversion was just, I accepted Christ and I know Him. But in a time of trouble, I turned to man. You know the Apostle Paul, when he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy in chapter 6. Now Timothy was Paul's closest co-worker. He was so different from all the others because he did not seek his own. He sought the things of Christ. And if there was one young man whom Paul was delighted with, it was Timothy. And he worked with him, with Paul for about 25 years. I think he joined Paul when he was around 20. And now he's 45 years old. Walked with Paul for 25 years, worked with him. And Paul writes him a letter when Timothy is 45 years old and Paul himself is nearly 65 or so. 
Listen to what he writes to this man who has walked with him for 25 years. 1 Timothy chapter 6. One Timothy chapter six and verse twelve. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life. Now, if you, if I were to tell you today, dear brother, sister, take hold of eternal life, you'd say, I was born again ten years ago. I already got eternal life. Really? What does this word mean when Paul writes that to a man who's been? born again 25 years earlier and not only born again but who was wholeheartedly serving the Lord with Paul for 25 years he tells him take hold of eternal life is it the first time you are seeing that verse in the Bible oh then my dear brother sister you must be reading the Bible very carelessly Start reading the Bible a little slowly. I've been preaching that for many years. Read the Bible slowly. Meditate on it. Stop when you come to something you can't understand. You're like a farmer plowing the field and you come to a rock there. What do you do? Just go around it? Oh, say, I've got to, I've got to plow the whole field. No, I don't want to leave that little rock lying there. So it's like that when you come to scripture, you're studying, studying, and then you come across a verse you a verse you can't understand. Don't go around it and go to the next verse. Stop. And say, I'm not going to go to the next verse till I understand this. You know, in my Bible reading, there are times when I I come to a verse and I feel more I mean I've understood it, but I find that the Lord is trying to say something to me through that verse. And it's like a red light. I stop. The red light doesn't seem to go. The green light hasn't come on. Okay, then I've got to stay at that verse. Next morning I open the Bible and I'm again at the same verse. The stoplight is still there. Stop. I have learned to respect the stoplights when I read the Bible. I don't go dashing through the stoplights. I learn nothing that way. I'll have a crash. And so sometimes I've been stuck at a verse with the stoplight for three, three, four days. Just the same verse. I'm not saying that's how I got to know the Bible. I got to know the Bible long, long ago. That's how I got to hear God. There's a lot of difference between knowing the Bible and hearing God. If you want to hear God, sometimes you come to a verse and there's a stoplight. And God sees how eager you are to hear Him. You stop. What does it mean to take hold of eternal life? If you think eternal life is just living forever, Timothy would have told Paul, Hey, Paul, I accepted Christ 25 years ago. What are you telling me to take hold of eternal life? I took hold of it 25 years ago. But he understood it because he'd been with Paul for 25 years and Paul taught him that eternal life is not length of life. It's not something you just receive in a moment and that's it. Not like a tablet, you take it and you got it. No. Eternal life is to know God the Father and to know Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, get to know the Father better. Get to know Jesus Christ better. Imagine 
Paul is writing that to his closest co-worker. Don't you think that's important? I would say to everyone sitting here, take hold of eternal life. Get to know your Savior, Jesus, better. Get to know your Heavenly Father better. There's a lot of difference between knowing Him as a loving Father who provides for you and getting to know His nature. Because when you get to know His nature, you get that yourself. Then you can be a better father to your children. Then you can be a better spiritual father to others in the church. Do you long, do you have a longing to be a helpful brother or a helpful sister in this church? Not just one who warms the chair every Sunday for a couple of hours. There are people like that. I call them seat warmers Sunday morning. They come and sit on a seat for two hours and warm the seat and go. That's the Christianity of many people. But if you go beyond that and say, Lord, I want to be a helpful brother here, not just by putting money in the offering box, and not just by cleaning the floor or picking up the trash or other little things. I want to be a help to some of the people younger than me here who need you. I've been here so long and Lord, I don't seem to have done anything to help people. If I get a chance to preach, I preach. But what about helping some of these younger ones on a one-on-one? Do you have a burden to call someone younger and talk to them personally and encourage them? How long have you been in this church? If you haven't done it till now, the chances are you won't do it in the next 25 years either. You'll be a seat warmer all your life. Start now and say, Lord, I want to lay hold of eternal life. I want to know Jesus better personally. And then you won't have to, no one will have to push you. It will overflow from you. I remember in the early days, my witnessing was like a hand pump. I don't know whether you've seen a hand pump. In India, in the villages, they don't have any running water in the houses. So somewhere in one street, there'll be a hand pump. So early morning, the women will come with their, like the woman of Samaria came to the well. They come to this hand pump with their buckets and other vessels to collect water. And there's be one hand pump. They've got to stand in line one by one. This man, you pump and pump and pump and pump and keep pumping it and the water comes out little by little by little. It's connected to a well underneath. My life was like that and my preaching was like that where I was pumping, 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 pumping till gradually as I got to know the Lord better and I allowed the Holy Spirit to fill me more and more, it became like a river. I want to say to you in Jesus' name, God's promises to you Please take it today if you have never taken it before. In John chapter 7, if anyone is thirsty, I want to ask you from what you've heard from me just so far, have you got a little thirst in your life? No, I want that life, which Brother Zach just spoke about. I want that type of life, which overflows, where nobody has to push me where I'm fearless for Christ in my place of work where I'm not ashamed to be known 
as a disciple of Jesus Christ everywhere. Are you thirsty for that? I don't mean do you have a weak desire. Are you desperately thirsty like a man who's wandered in the desert for a whole week and his tongue is parched? You'd be willing to give up all your money to get water. That type of thirst. You say, Lord, I heard something today which has given me a thirst for a, a higher life than I have right now. I want it. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. It's an invitation to anybody here who has become a little thirsty this morning for the type of life that you don't have. You want to lay hold of eternal life. Jesus says, come to me. Just like you came to him long ago to get the forgiveness of your sins. Keep coming to him. The Christian life is one of keeping on coming to the Lord. Keeping on coming. Because I'm thirsty for more. I've received a tremendous lot from the Lord in the 62 years that I've known him since I was born again. But I tell you, I'm more thirsty today. Believe me, I'm not trying to project something. I mean it. I'm more. God is my witness. I'm more thirsty today than I ever was to know my Father and to know Jesus. He's already become a very intimate friend of mine. But I want to know him better. This is eternal life. I'm inviting you to enjoy it. The Christian life is not boring. When you get to know Jesus, it's not boring. He's the most interesting person in this universe. If you get to know him, and you get to speak to him, and you allow him to speak to you. Let, come to me and drink freely. Come to Come to Jesus and receive and receive and receive. He's not asking you to produce anything. He's asking you to drink freely. And if you do it, and you trust Him, from your innermost being, verse 38, rivers of living water will flow that will bless people. Not a few drops here and there, rivers. You can be a blessing. It is God's will for you, I say to you. Every one of you, if you have ears to hear, please listen. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Let's turn back to Ephesians in chapter 1. I pray that the God of our, Ephesians 1.17, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing Him. I pray that your eyes will be enlightened to know what is the hope of His calling. Why did He call you? He called you so that you can become like Jesus more and more. And what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? You know what that means? That sentence means? The living Bible paraphrases it like this. I pray that your eyes will be opened not to see how you how rich you became when you received Christ no how rich god became when he got you 
Can you believe that? <laughs> you can't. That's why your eyes have to be opened. How rich God became when He got me. And you sink down and say, Oh, can't, that can't be possible. Can't be. We must be talking about somebody else. No, about you. How rich God became when He got you as His child. When you responded and opened your heart one less than one percent of this world you belong to the less than one percent of this world who opened their life to Christ and God became rich he created the world so that everybody would be his children but not even one percent in the world are his children today and you happen to be to that small number like in the world they talk about the top one percent of people who are the richest people in the world Spiritually, you're the top 1%. Did you know that? Spiritually, God became rich when He got you. If you're a sincere Christian, not every Tom, Dick and Harry who calls himself a Christian. If you're a sincere Christian, if you're one of those who come to church when you feel like it, seek fellowship when you feel like it, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to those who are serious about their Christianity who want fellowship all the time. God became rich when He came to you. He doesn't become rich with all these others who seek their own, seek their own convenience. I want to follow Jesus when convenient. No. But I believe most of you, anyway, are sincere and I want to say to you, God became rich. It's like this, you know. If you think of a billionaire, a billionaire who's got Houses and lands and property worth billions, not millions, but billions. And he's got one son, one little boy. You ask him, what is your real wealth? Is it all those billions or is this little boy of yours? He'll say, I'd give all that away. This son is my wealth. That is what God says. All the universe that he's created, that's not his wealth. He owns more than any billionaire on the earth. He owns the whole earth and the heavens and the planets and the stars. But he says, I became rich when I got you. And Paul is saying, the Holy Spirit is saying, I pray that your eyes will be opened to see how rich God became when he got you. But do you behave like that in your relationship with God? Is your response to God the same as the way he longs after you? Or is it like a lazy type of response? Where your love for him is weak compared to God's fervent love for you. And then he prays one more thing. I pray that God, you will experience the surpassing greatness. Verse 19 of his power toward you. There's a lot in that. I don't want to go into it. Our time is up. But you can read it on your own. But there's a very precious passage. Read on your own when you go home from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 down towards the end and ask God to open your eyes. Read it again and again and again. And if you see a stoplight, read it for a whole week or a whole month till you understand it. It'll make a world of difference in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Help us to know you better, to know the Lord Jesus better. Open our eyes to see how rich you became when you got wretched sinners like us to be your children. Lead us to that life in the Holy Spirit. We thirst for it. I believe there are folks here who are genuinely thirsty or longing for you. I pray you will meet with such ones soon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.